0: So, it was quite a few years ago that Diane came to my office uh, one Friday morning just to see how things were going. And I said, you know, um, I'm having a hard time coming up with an opening illustration for my sermon. Uh, The title is uh, Stepping Out on Faith. You have an idea of an illustration for stepping out on faith. And uh, she took note of my dilemma, but didn't really offer any help. We chit-chatted about a number of other things, and uh, then she got up as if to leave. And before, as she was making her way to the door, I said, hey, aren't you going to help me with an illustration of stepping out on faith? And just as she was ducking through the doorway, she flashed me a mischievous grin and she said, I married you, didn't I? You know, I would like to have thought that uh, stepping down the aisle with me on August 25th, 1978 was a sure thing, not a step of faith, but truth be told, it was a step of faith. I mean, she was saying I do to a guy who was young and penniless and headed into ministry, somebody who had graduated from college just two months before with a highly marketable degree in philosophy, of all things, a guy who had never held a year-round full-time job in his life and who still had three years of seminary ahead. I would like to have thought that it was a sure thing that I was offering her walking down the aisle with me, but truth was... uh, That was a step of faith. I I didn't have a lot of security to offer her, uh, but I could sure guarantee that it would be an adventure. And an adventure it has been. But you know, the Christian life is a lot like that. When God calls us to follow him, when Jesus says, come and follow me, he doesn't offer us a sure thing. He He offers us an adventure of faith, walking by faith in him. And, you know, the Christian life is all about faith, isn't it? It it begins with faith. We begin the Christian life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus to be our Savior and Lord, our leader for life and our our rescuer from sin. Uh, But the Christian life is not only started in faith. We live it by faith. Paul says we live by faith, not by sight. And the writer of Hebrews says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The essence of Christian living is walking with God, obeying him, even when we can't be sure of where he's taking us or what the outcome will be. And if there's anyone in all the Bible who stands out as a model of this kind of faith, this adventurous walk of faith, it's Abram. Other than Jesus, of course, it would be Abram. Now, In the scriptures, in that passage, part of which was read for us a little while ago, in Hebrews 11, there's this thing we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's this chapter that is just chock full of examples of people who walk by faith in God. And did you know that there are 40 verses in that chapter? And 11 of them are given to Abram and his story. The next closest is Moses with seven. And then everybody else gets a verse or two. Abram is held up as pretty much the, the sterling example of what it means to walk by faith. Not that he always got it right. As we're going to see next week, he sometimes had blind spots in his faith and he stumbled In his faith and that's why we're calling the series a stumbling faith because though the the general direction of Abram's life is to walk by faith there are times when he kind of lurches forward and he takes a step back and he he has some missteps along the way so it's sort of a stumbling faith but that's kind of true to life isn't it that's kind of like our walk with God sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't sometimes we stumble but we keep striving to walk by faith well We're going to be looking in these next five weeks at the life of Abram, at least part of the life story of Abram, and he has much to teach us, as we're going to see in these next five weeks, much to teach us about how we walk by faith with God. And the passage we're looking at today, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, gives us the story of the beginning of Abram's walk with God, the beginning of his adventure of faith with God, and it teaches us quite simply that when God calls... We must follow. When God calls, we've just got to follow. When God says go, we'd better go. Wherever God sends, that's where we need to be. And you might say, well, why? I mean, I can think of a lot better things to do with my life than what God says he wants me to do. I can think of much better places to go than where God would want to send me. But the example of Abram would argue otherwise. And Abram's response to God's call in his life here in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 9 It shows us some compelling reasons to follow God when he calls us. Here's reason number one. It's better to follow God into mystery than to demand certainty. It's better to follow God into mystery than to demand certainty. When I talk about mystery, I'm talking about, you know, things that we don't know how they're going to turn out. uh, Things where the outcome is still to be revealed. You know, most of us have a limit to how much mystery we can tolerate in our lives. We don't handle uncertainty very well, do we? I mean, we we want things to be clear. We want things to be certain. Some of the most difficult times in life are those times of uncertainty where the outcome is a mystery. You know, when you're waiting for news from the doctor about that test result. When you're wondering whether uh, you're going to get that job offer and what that will mean for you and your family. When you're staying up late at night. waiting waiting for that wayward child to come home. Or when you're wondering what is life going to be like without that loved one you just lost. There have been several times in our life as a married couple when we were convinced that God was moving us on. We knew we we weren't to stay where we were, but we weren't sure yet where God was moving us. And those are kind of some unsettling times. He, He was moving us, but we didn't know where. We like to have things clear and settled. We prefer to dwell on the rock-solid foundation of what we know. We demand certainty. It's difficult to live for very long with that unsettled feeling of having both feet firmly planted in midair. But look at what God is asking Abram to do here. In verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Doesn't even tell him the exact destination, just says, go to the land, I'll show you. God was commanding Abram to go from the known to the unknown. Now, in the previous chapter, we read that uh, Terah, Abram's father, when they lived in Ur the Chaldees, that's the the far right part of the map, the yellow uh, part of the map, that's Ur the Chaldees, right there in the heart of the cradle of civilization, the Fertile Crescent. Remember that from your junior high uh, civics classes? So they were living in Ur of the Chaldees, and God told Terah, Abram's father, to take the family and move to Canaan. Well, Terah made a good start of that. He made it about 800 miles to the north and west, all the way to Haran. That's that kind of lavender splotch at the top of the screen, at the top of the map. They made about 800 miles, but they never completed the journey to Canaan. And now that Terah has died, Abram is the patriarch of the family, and God is telling Abram, I want you to take the family and, and finish the journey to Canaan. I want you to go to the land I will show you. I'll tell you when you've, got, when you've arrived, when you've gotten there. We need to appreciate what God is asking Abram to do here. He's asking Abram to leave everything known to him, everything familiar He's to leave the rest of his family behind, to leave his country behind, and to go with God to a place he's never seen and knows very little about. Now, the city of Ur had been Abram's home for most of his life, and then his father moved the the family to Haran, and that would have been an adjustment, but not nearly as big an adjustment as the move from Haran to Canaan, because Haran was still part of Mesopotamia. Haran was still part of the the, the uh, river valley there, the Tigris and Euphrates River Valley. It was part of the Fertile Crescent. Haran was a, a place where they would worship the same God as they worshiped in Ur. It would have been uh, the same language that was spoken. They would have had similar customs. It was a culture that was very familiar to Abram. Scholars tell us, however, that there is absolutely no good reason why a self-respecting Mesopotamian would pick up and move all the way to the backwoods of Canaan. That just didn't make sense. God was commanding Abram to leave his settled, predictable, known life in Mesopotamia for the uncertainties of a nomadic life in a faraway place called Canaan. And Abram apparently does so for no other reason than that God tells him to do it. You've got to admire someone who's willing to follow God into an unknown future People who do what is seemingly illogical just because God said to do it. A couple of people I've come to admire in this regard are my own son, Josh, and his wife, Anne, who some time ago, I mean, they had a, a nice little life together. Josh and Ann have two really, really cute little boys, not that I'm biased or anything but um, they have two cute sons and they had a nice little house in the suburbs and they both had jobs uh, you know that were doing well and you know they kind of had life all figured out it was it was a very nice little life that they had for themselves and then they started having thinking about having a third child and they were praying about it and they decided together that God was leading them to adopt and not only to adopt but to do an international adoption, to adopt a child from among the poorest of the poor. And so they began praying about all this, and, and they felt led not only to adopt and adopt internationally, but to adopt a child from India, and then they found out that if you adopt a child from India, uh, that you'd have to take a child who has a special need, because those are the only child available for international adoption from India. And as they prayed about all this, they felt that, yeah, that's what God was leading them to do, to adopt a child from India, a child with a special need, and they saw little Una's picture, and they said, she's the one. Now, you would look at this and say, this just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, Una has a cleft palate and cleft lip. Don't you know what you're getting into here? Uh, You know, why would you do this? Well, because God told us to, they would tell you. We weren't here last week because we were at you could go back to the first picture, please. Uh, we were at Restoration Church in Levittown, Pennsylvania, where uh, Una was dedicated to the Lord, our ninth grandchild. And this is a picture at their dedication. And Josh and Ann told a little bit of the, the story of, of the adoption. And, you know, from many perspectives, you'd look at that and say, this doesn't make sense. It's illogical. Why would you want to do something like that? Uh, you know, every, you've got a nice life, everything is kind of figured out, and, and, and you're going to launch off on an adventure like this? Uh, it's going to cost a lot of money. Well, it did cost a lot of money, but they said, we're going to trust God to provide. And they, they put it out there and GoFundMe on Facebook, and, and guess what? God provided. And some of you gave to that, and we're grateful for your participation in that, but God provided abundantly for the expenses that it would take to finish this international adoption and to go to India. People said, you know, this was just before COVID when all this started. Uh, February of last year, they, they decided this is what God's leading them to do. And then COVID happened, and, and people would say to them, oh, this is ridiculous. It's never going to happen now with COVID. I mean, all, all these government slowdowns and all the paperwork that's required, you'll never get through all the hurdles. Well, they said, well, let's just see what God will do. And, and people said, well, this step is going to take you six months. It took two. This step is going to take you a, a, a month. It took two weeks. And every step along the way, they saw God clear hurdles for them to bring Una home. Then they were told in July that, well, she's yours now. You have to come and get her. And so uh, what was happening in India at the time? COVID was raging, right? And people are saying, well, you'll never be able to go to India with all this COVID going on. And they said, well, let's see what God will do. And they applied for their visas. The visas came through. They went to India and back, and God kept them healthy and safe. And on September 1st, they brought little Una home. So... You know, now they're this happy little family of four or five. You can go to the next picture, please. <clears throat> there's uh, Max down below. Leo is looking like a deer in headlights. And, and there's Una. And, you know, you might say, wow, you know, isn't this incredible, this, this adventure they're on and how God brought them all the way through? Well, the journey's only begun. Because Una's going to need many surgeries on that cleft palate and cleft lip and that journey's just beginning. They have no idea how this is all going to turn out. They have no idea what twists and turns it will take. <clears throat> all they know is that they're on an adventure with God. Why? Because they believe God led them to it. You've got to admire those who follow when God calls, especially <clears throat> when they're uncertain where the journey will take them. And, and that's what Abram's doing here. When God calls, Abram steps out and follows without hesitation. God says in verse 1, Uh, leave all this and go to the land I will show you. And verse four says, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. You know, Abram could have made excuses, right? I mean, that's what many of us would do. Leave all this and go to a foreign land that you're gonna show me. But God, I'm like 75 years old. I'm too old for this stuff, you know? Find somebody younger. Maybe send Lot. Or he might have said, you know, Lord, that's an interesting idea, uh, leaving all this behind and going to a foreign land that you're going to show me. How about you, you take me there first? I'll, I'll go on an exploratory trip and, and see what it's like and see if it's a good situation for the family. And if I like it, then I'll come back and I'll, I'll get the family and move them all over. But he doesn't do that. He, he doesn't leave any options open. He packs up everything, just as God says, and he takes it with them as if he's never coming back to Haran. Verse five says, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. It doesn't seem as if Abram knows much of anything about his destination, only that God will let him know when he's arrived. This couldn't have been a very Comfortable feeling for Abram to leave everything known, everything familiar, and move sight unseen to another country where he'd never been before. We'd rather have God spell out everything ahead of time, wouldn't we? Well, where exactly are you taking me, God? And what are the people like? Tell me again what language they speak and, uh, you know, what my source of income will be and where I'm going to live and what's the culture like. We'd like to have everything told to us ahead of time, but sometimes God asks us to move out under sealed orders. You know, that idea of moving out under sealed orders is, is something that they talk about in the military where, you know, your unit might be sent out on a mission and the commanding officer only knows the first step. He's got an envelope with him that says, you know, you go to a certain rendezvous point and when you get there, then you open the envelope and the mission will be revealed to you. You're moving out under sealed orders. A great preacher from the last century, Peter Marshall, described it this way. He says, I do not know what picture the phrase under sealed orders suggests to you. To me, it recalls very vividly a scene from the First World War when I was a little boy spending vacation at a Scottish seaport. I saw a gray destroyer slipping hurriedly from port in response to some urgent commands. I watched the crew hurry the preparations for sailing, watched them cast off the mooring hawser. saw the sleek ship get underway as she rose to meet the lazy groundswell of a summer evening. Her morse lamp was winking on the control bridge aft, and I watched her until she was lost in the mists of the North Sea. She was a mystery vessel. She sailed under sealed orders. Not even her officers knew her destination or mission. We all start out in life going, we know not where. It will be revealed later. But meanwhile, we must go out in faith under sealed orders. That's essentially what God is calling Abram to do. God said, Go to the land I will show you. And Abram went, though his destination remained a mystery. Too many times we balk at doing God's will because it all seems too mysterious to us. If only God would show us ahead of time how it will all work out, we wouldn't be so hesitant to follow. It's not too much to want a little certainty, is it? I mean, we'd rather hang on to what we know rather than commit ourselves to something so mysterious as the will of God. But when we balk at following God into the mysterious, we rob ourselves of some of the greatest adventures and rewards of the Christian life. God can be trusted. He is faithful and he is good. Even if he leads you one step at a time into the fog, go with him. It's better to walk in the mist with God than to remain stubbornly planted where you can see everything clearly to your own satisfaction. God's mysteries are more trustworthy than our certainties. It's better to follow God into mystery than to wait until everything is clear to you. There's a story told about a ship, a passenger vessel that was steaming down the St. Lawrence River, and the passengers became upset because it seemed to them that the the captain was was traveling down the river at a ridiculous speed because the, the ship had become enshrouded in fog. And so they went to the first mate and they complained, what's the captain trying to do, get us killed? And the first mate smiled and he said, oh, don't worry, this fog hangs low to the water. The captain's high up there on the bridge. He can see everything clearly. Even if we can't see where he's taking us, even if we can't be certain how it will all turn out, even if it feels like he's driving recklessly in the fog, When God calls, we must follow. It's better to follow God into mystery than to demand certainty. Here's the second reason to follow God when he calls. It's better to have God's blessing than to secure one's own comforts. It's better to have God's blessing than to secure one's own comforts. So God says to Abram in verse 1, Go from your country to the land I will show you, in verse 2, he says, and I will bless you. Go, and I will bless you. You know, we live in a culture that is obsessed with, you know, making things comfortable for ourselves. Yeah, just think of the success of HGTV. You know, shows like Fixer Upper, Love It or List It, Flip or Flop, Hometown. Anybody here watch HGTV? Yeah. Quite a few hands. It's usually what comes on my TV when I pick up the clicker and turn it on. Somebody in my house has been watching HDTV. (laughs) Truth be told, I watch some of those programs too. What's the appeal? We love watching home designers and builders take average homes and turn them into cozy retreats. You know, we like watching how they take outdated bathrooms and turn them into luxury spas, how they take weedy backyards and turn them into outdoor living spaces. We watch because we long for somebody to turn our home into a a showcase of luxury and comfort like that. That's where we'd all prefer to live, in the midst of our self-made comforts. Well, consider the comforts of Abram's life up to this point. You know, Abram was no country bumpkin. He was a a sophisticated urbane urban dweller, or the city of his birth was a city of 300,000 people. It had a wall two and a half miles around and 30 feet high. In the middle of the city was the great ziggurat to the, the moon god Nana. It was a sophisticated, well-designed, wealthy city. The people were highly educated and wrote on clay tablet tablets in the cuneiform script. The picture we get of Abram and his father Terah is that they were enjoying Uh, life as a well-to-do family in a sophisticated city, enjoying all of the available comforts that that culture had to offer. And then God says, Terah, take them to Canaan. Well, they go not all the way to Canaan, but to Haran. And in Haran too, it must have been a pretty comfortable life. You know, a place with the same language and culture and religion as Ur. It was also a flourishing center of commerce and transportation with frequent caravan traffic And they did well there, as verse 5 would indicate. Verse 5 talks about all these possessions that they gathered while living in Haran and the people that they had acquired. We get the picture of Abram as a sophisticated businessman who was very well established and very comfortable. He had the kind of lifestyle we all would have admired. And then God says, I want you to leave all this and go to a land I will show you. Now realize what God was asking Abram to do. In those days... Uh, the three things that were most important to people in that culture were land, clan, and family. Well, in, in fact, these things were so important, you just didn't walk away from them. There's a document from that era, that, uh, from, from that part of the world that dates back to 1500 B.C., that talks about how one particular man totally disinherited two of his sons because they had the audacity to move 20 miles away. It's like saying, you moved to Tom's River, I'm taking you out of my will. It was that important, land, clan, and family. It was shameful to walk away from your land, clan, and family, and that's exactly what God is asking Abram to do. Look at verse 1 again, go from your country, your land, and your kindred, your clan, and your father's house, your family, to the land I will show you. God is asking Abram to leave all of the comforts of life as he has known it to become a nomad, wandering for who knows how long until God finally tells him to stop. And so Abram went, verse 4 says, as the Lord told him. Took Lot with them. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people that he acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land... Because God didn't tell them what part of the land. He just told them, head that direction. I'll tell you when to stop. And they passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. So God takes them all the way from Haran to Canaan, another 400 miles across the horrible desert and then down the Mediterranean into Canaan. And they're camping at Shechem in Canaan where God is about to make a promise to Abram concerning this land. One small complication, the land is full of Canaanites. Ah, but worry about that later. No big deal. He left the comforts of home to come to this strange place occupied by hostile people, and then this happens. God says, hey, remember how I told you to go to the land I will show you? Well, this is it. You're here. What do you think? And then he says, it says in verse 7, Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. God doesn't even say, Abram, I'm giving you this land. He's saying, no, I'm going to give this land to your offspring. Oh, it'll be like 500 years from now, but I'm going to give your kids this land. Now, if I was Abram, I think I'd have been a little ticked, you know? Lord, you, you made me leave the comforts of life as I knew it in Haran to come all this way through that God-forsaken desert into this backwoods kind of place to tell me you're going to give this land to my children's 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 children? You couldn't have told me that when I was in Haran? You had to bring me all the way out here and, and make me take up the life of a nomad for this? But Abram doesn't respond that way. Look what Abram does. It says in the rest of verse seven, so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country of the, on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east, still in Canaan, just a different part of Canaan. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so Abram spends the rest of his days pitching a tent, roaming the land, and building altars in worship of the Lord. He'd leave behind in Canaan no trace of his prestige or wealth, but only altars he constructed in honor of God. Why? Because he knew it was better to have God's blessing on his life than to secure his own comfort. Remember, God had said, go from your country to a land I will show you, and I will bless you. God said, God said, He would bless Abram if he would go, and Abram took the Lord at his word and went. He somehow understood that all the comforts one could secure in this world could never equal one of the blessings of God. You know, one of the most foolish things we could ever do in life is to refuse to do the will of God for fear of having to sacrifice some of the comforts of this life. One of the greatest regrets that many of us will have in life will be the blessings of God we forfeited for the sake of hanging on to some of the fleeting comforts of this world. It was the missionary David Livingstone who said about leaving England, it is better to live in the heart of deep, dark Africa and be in the will of God than to sit on the throne of England and be out of the will of God. Reminds me how a businessman once told me Dave, you have no idea how much money you would have made if you'd gone into business instead of ministry. And I kind of went, really? Like, I'm thinking, how much? You know? Now, if God has called you into business, that's great. You pursue that call. God didn't call me into business. He called me into ministry. And, and after he said that, I, I sanely dismissed it saying, you know what, I made the better choice to follow God's call on my life. I may have made a lot more money, but I would have forfeited so many blessings. When God calls, you just got to follow. It's better to follow God into mystery than to demand certainty. It's better to have God's blessings than to secure one's own comfort. And thirdly and finally, it's better to trust God's promises than to insist on our plans. It's better to trust God's promises than insist on our plans. Now, I imagine that at age 75, Abram might have been kind of making some plans for how he would spend his golden years, right? It most likely would have included sitting back and enjoying some of the vast wealth he had accumulated. He might have had in mind to enjoy some of the cultural amenities that Haran had to offer, you know, take the wife to the opera. She's always been saying she wanted to go, whatever. Uh, Maybe uh, take up a new Hobby. I'm not sure how fly fishing is in the Euphrates River, but he he could have taken up a new hobby. His plans almost certainly did not include taking up a nomadic existence in a faraway place called Canaan. And then God said, "Go," and and he packed up his considerable belongings, as long as as many servants he required, and he announced that he was hitting the road like some recent retirees with a brand new RV. And people must have said, "What? Are you nuts?" Look at Abraham. He's going through some kind of late midlife crisis or something. Uh, what, why does he think he, he should? Why, why is he giving up all this, all the comforts of life he has here in Haran, for a nomadic existence of life on the road? That doesn't make sense. And somebody would said, Well, he says some God talked to him. Well, what'd that God say? Some God called the Lord. Uh, he said he was making a bunch of promises to Abraham and abraham said that he was exchanging all of that all all, all of what he's got here in haran all the, the 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 comforts that he has all the plans he's made for the rest of his golden years and he's going to exchange all that for some promises made by some foreign god and they say well yeah that's what he says and i think the other guy would have said well there you have it i guess you can't fix stupid you know good luck with that abraham but what Abram seems to understand here is that God's promises are worth way more than our plans. Amen. He may be walking away from whatever plans he had made for his golden years, but he, he looks at the promises that God has laid before him. Look what he's walking into here. Beginning in verse 2, God says in verse 1, Go from your country to the land I will show you. And then in verses 2 and 3, you have a sevenfold promise that God makes to Abram. Part one, and I will make of you a great nation. That's the first part of the promise. Now, Abram could have looked at that and said, well, how's that going to work out? I'm 75 years old. My wife Sarah is barren. How are we going to have children in our old age such that you're going to make me into a great nation? But Abram takes God at his word. Then God says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. There's promise number two. And make your name great. There's promise number three. Abram, they're going to be talking about you in America in 2021 A.D. And he would have said, wow, that's cool. What's America? What's A.D.? I'm going to make your name great. And not just so that your name will be great. I'm going to make your name great, fourthly, so that you will be a blessing. You're going to be so great, you're going to be a blessing to other people. And Promise number five, I will bless those who bless you. Isn't that cool to think about? You're going to be so blessed that when people bless you, they're going to get blessed. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. There's promise number six. There's a promise of protection. Anybody messes with you, they're going to have to answer to me. And then promise number seven, and this is the best one of all. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That's the gospel, folks. The Apostle Paul points to these promises that God makes to Abram. In you, in your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Paul says, well, that's not referring to the whole of his offspring. It's referring to a particular offspring. Because what's going to happen is that Abram will have a son, Isaac. And Isaac will have a son, Jacob. And Jacob will have 12 sons and become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those tribes will be the tribe of Judah. And from the tribe of Judah will come the Messiah, the offspring of Abraham, through whom all the nations of the other earth would be blessed. To a particular child of the tribe of Judah, to a woman named Mary, a baby would be born who is God incarnate, God in human flesh, fully God so that he can represent humanity, humanity fully God, so that he could offer his life of infinite worth as the only sufficient payment for the sins of all mankind. They would crucify him on a cross. He would be dead and buried and put in a cold stone tomb. But on the third day, he would rise victorious from the dead, victor over sin and death, offering forgiveness and eternal life to all who put their faith and trust in him. And to this very day, the gospel of that Jesus is transforming lives to the very ends of the earth. And indeed through Abraham, all the families of the earth are being blessed. And when Abram gives up his plans to trust God's promises, he goes all the way to Canaan, and when he arrives, God makes yet another promise. So there are eight promises in this passage. The eighth promises in verse seven to your offspring I will give this land. And now almost have seemed impossible. How how would he become a great nation when he hadn't even had a child yet? How will his children, his offspring, inherit this land when it's full of Canaanites? Yet Abram was undeterred. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 4 that he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. When God says, follow me, it's tempting to say, Sorry, Lord, that just doesn't fit into my plans. We have the weird idea that to follow where God leads is to set yourself up for misery. That when God says go, it's not going to be somewhere I like and it's going to cost me more time and money and heartache than it's worth. But Abram had a different view of things. God promised to make his obedience magnificently worthwhile. And in the coming weeks, we'll see how God is faithful to all that he promised Abram. And we can trust God too. Because when the Lord Jesus says to us, come and follow me, he promises that everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. He promises that that those who love God for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. He promises, if you follow me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I don't know about you. But I found it's always better to trust God's promises than to insist on my plans. My plans may or may not work out. But you can take God's promises to the bank We want certainty, we want comfort, we want control. God offers adventure and promises of blessing. The day that Abram left Haran for Canaan, he was stepping out on faith and he was no dummy to do so. He quickly figured out that it's better to follow God into mystery than to demand certainty. It's better to have God's blessing than to secure one's own comforts. It's better to trust God's promises than to insist on our plans. And I don't know what God may be calling you to do today, but I can tell you this. When God calls, you've got to follow. He will make your obedience magnificently worthwhile. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, for the encouragement it is to our lives. We thank you for the example of Abram and the the nature of his faith, his willingness to follow, to follow you into mystery, into uncertainty, trusting in your promises. Lord, I pray that, that we would have ears to hear that we would be attentive to what you're saying to us and that when you call, when, when you ask us to follow, we'll be ready to go. That we would be people who would, who would not balk and insist on our plans, insist on, 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 on our control, insist on our comfort, to insist on certainty in life, but rather that we would be an adventurous people, adventurous Christ followers who follow you Trusting in your promises, knowing that you reward obedience, that you make obedience magnificently worthwhile. We celebrate your goodness, Lord, your faithfulness to us. We pray, help us to walk faithfully with you for Jesus' sake. Amen.